Let's go now to the reading of God's most holy word, and we will read both Psalm chapter 1 and also Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. The sermon today will focus in upon verses 13 through 16 of Ephesians 4. But first, Psalm 1, and then Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. Psalm 1, verse 1. Familiar words, brothers and sisters. Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let us go now to Ephesians chapter 4 and consider verses 7 through 16. Paul the Apostle writes, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he, Christ, Ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the Head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May the Lord add His blessing to the preaching of it today. Previously in Ephesians, we have been strongly exhorted by the Apostle, based upon all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus, to now walk in a worthy manner, that is, to be humble, gentle, and patient, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace within Christ's church. This is our reasonable and fitting response to the grace of God that has been lavished upon us. Having been called from spiritual death to spiritual life, we are now to walk worthy of this calling. The Apostle has also encouraged our hearts by reminding us that God has not left us without supply. He has redeemed us by the shed blood of Christ. He has set us free from our bondage to sin and death. But in Christ, He has also lavished upon us every spiritual gift. We are well equipped, therefore. Indeed, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I want you to consider this, brothers and sisters, before we go too much further, that the act of redemption does not necessarily guarantee a rich supply. I'm sure you can imagine a king providing salvation for a people in bondage, but then 
leaving those captives that he has set free to fend for themselves. That would not be unreasonable, would it? A redeemer is not obligated to also be a generous benefactor. Even if no other gift were given, those who had been redeemed would be grateful for the redemption. But here I want for you to see, brothers and sisters, that our Heavenly Father is generous and He is kind. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law, from sin and from death. Uh, More than this, He has also adopted us as His children. We have been brought into God's family, though we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And as His children, as His beloved children, He has lavished us with gifts so that we are well supplied to walk in a manner that is worthy and to bring glory to His name. And so when we think of our salvation in Christ, we must learn to think of it as involving much more than just the forgiveness of our sins. Indeed, we are forgiven. And that is a central thing. The problem of sin has been removed by Christ. But we have been forgiven so that we might be reconciled to the Father as sons. And as sons of the King... We are very well supplied in Christ Jesus. Uh, This is what Paul has been communicating to us. Christ has given gifts to all who belong to Him by faith. All have spiritual gifts that they are to use for the edification of the body of Christ. And He has also provided the church with ministers of the Word. This was the emphasis in the previous passage. God has gifted and called men to serve the church with the Word of God so that the Word of Christ would dwell in us richly, to quote Colossians 3.16. In the earlier and foundational days of the New Covenant Church, there were apostles and prophets who ministered the Word in an authoritative and foundational way. They still minister to us, don't they? Though there are no prophets and apostles present in the church today, living and active, these apostles and prophets who laid the foundation, do still minister to us today through the Word that is now written. But after the age of the apostles, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers remain living and active within the church today. And what do all of these callings share in common? Uh, These are all ministers of the Word of God. Evangelists, shepherds, and teachers are to preach and teach the Scriptures. They are to equip the saints. They are to devote themselves to the work of ministry. They are to labor for the building up of the body of Christ, which is the church, the visible manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth today. And what is the intended result of a faithful ministry of the Word? In other words, Lord willing and with God's blessing, What will be accomplished as the Word of God is proclaimed and taught faithfully within the Christian congregation? I think this is the question that the passage before us today answers. And in brief, the answer is maturity in Christ will be the result. It is through the constant ministry of the Word that the church will be moved along to maturity. The Word of God, the proclamation of it, and our ministry of it to one another even... Uh, will be the means that God uses by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring maturity uh, to the body of Christ. And this maturity amongst the members will have many benefits indeed. Indeed, there are three byproducts of a faithful ministry of the Word mentioned in this passage. The primary byproduct is maturity. Believers will grow up to be mature in Christ as they come to know, believe, and trust, and obey God's Word. But stability within the congregation will also flow from this, and so too will unity 
Lord willing. I say Lord willing because none of these things are automatic and guaranteed. Just as a farmer might work diligently to plant and to water and to tend to his crop, things beyond his control might threaten his harvest. And so too a minister of the word might labor faithfully only to see the fruit of his labor diminished or even destroyed by circumstances beyond his control. But ordinarily, a faithful and constant ministry of the word of God within the Christian congregation is going to produce maturity, Stability and unity in Christ's church. In verse 13 of our text for today, the goal or purpose of the minister of the word is established. The minister's purpose is to lead the believer on to maturity. Uh, The Christian minister, that is to say the evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, is to have the maturity of the members as his aim. This was the goal of the apostles as they ministered the word in the earliest days of the church. Paul himself says so in Colossians 1.28. There we read, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within me. And so what did the apostle have his sight set on? What was his aim? What did he work diligently for. He aimed at maturity. He proclaimed the Word of God faithfully so that in the end he might present those who are under his care to God mature in Christ. Stated differently, the goal of the minister of the Word, be they evangelists, shepherds, or teachers, is not conversion only. The gospel is to be preached. Men and women are to be urged to turn from their sins and to believe upon Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. But repentance and faith leading to salvation is not the end. It is only the beginning. When someone believes upon Christ to the salvation of their souls, they are to be baptized in the the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and they are to be taught then to observe all that Christ has commanded. For we are His disciples, which means learners. Again, cultivating maturity in the believer is to be the objective of every minister of the gospel. Christ gave ministers of the word to the church so that believers might grow to maturity. But notice that Paul describes this maturity in three different ways in this passage. One, those mature in Christ will attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, Paul says. Here the word faith in the phrase unity of the faith refers not to personal belief or trust as it often does in the scriptures, but to the body of doctrine that is contained within the Holy Scripture. Notice uh, the definite article that precedes the word faith here. Uh, This maturity will manifest itself in the unity of the faith. Ministers of the Word of God are to do their work with the objective being that believers attain to this unity of the faith. Uh, The goal here is that we would all come to believe the same things and to be of the same mind as it pertains to the Christian faith. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, how is this possible? There's so much division within Christ's church, so many different perspectives regarding doctrine. Well, I did not say that it is easy, but it is possible. And how is it possible? Well, it is possible because the faith has been delivered to us. God has spoken. We have His Word in the Old and New Testaments. The apostles and prophets have spoken and written With authority, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers are to receive this word from them. 
And they are to preach it, building upon this foundation. And the church is to receive with meekness this implanted word, to borrow from the words of James chapter 1, verse 21. And what is at the heart of this faith that is contained within the Holy Scriptures that has been delivered to us or entrusted to us except the knowledge of the Son of God? The Scriptures tell the story of our redemption in Jesus the Christ, who is the eternal Son of God come in the flesh. And so to be mature in Christ involves having a firm grasp on Christian doctrine. In particular, maturity in Christ means possessing a true knowledge of the Son of God. As I have said before, friends, doctrine does matter. Knowledge matters. Knowledge will not automatically produce maturity, mind you. There are certainly some who possess knowledge but lack maturity. That is possible. But knowledge is indeed a vital element of maturity. And this is the calling of the minister of the gospel. He is to preach and teach the word of God so that men and women, boys and girls, might grow in their understanding of the faith and in their knowledge of the Son of God. Two, Paul explicitly says that ministers of the word were given so that through their ministry believers will attain mature manhood. Here I will repeat what I have just said. Knowledge of Christian doctrine does not equate to maturity. No, but it is a vital component of it. And the goal of the minister is to, by teaching the faith and by preaching Christ, to move men and women on to mature manhood or womanhood, if you prefer. I am reminded of that rebuke that the writer to the Hebrews delivered to his audience, saying, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And here I want for you to see the connection that the author to the Hebrews makes between knowledge of the oracles of God and maturity. To be mature is to have knowledge of the oracles of God or of the Word of God. Knowledge does not automatically produce maturity, but it does pave the way. And so we must be weaned off of milk and learn to eat solid food so that we might grow to maturity having the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to to distinguish between good from evil. Three, Paul describes maturity ultimately as Christ-likeness. The objective of the minister of the word is to move men and women on to maturity until we all attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, the text says. What does a mature man look like? Well, one way to put it is to say, look to Jesus. This is what a mature human being looks like. He is the epitome of maturity, for he alone loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and his neighbor as himself. He alone knew the truth with perfect precision and lived according to that truth. He alone walked in a perfectly worthy manner. And so to be mature is to attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The word until at the beginning of verse 13 indicates that ministers of the word must do their work, the work of ministry, 
until these things that have just been mentioned are accomplished. The apostles and prophets have completed their foundational work, and the church today builds upon this foundation. Now evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, they are active, and they must minister the Word of God. They must preach and teach it until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When will this be, brothers and sisters? When will this be? When Christ returns. We will make progress in this life with God's help. But none of us will truly attain or fully attain this maturity until Christ returns or takes us home. There is job security, therefore, for the minister of the gospel, isn't there? The work will never end. The Word of God must be ministered to the Christian congregation, and ministers must be diligent in this work so that we might truly build upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets until the end of time. I would like to make just a few points of application before moving on to points 2 through 3 of this sermon. Those points will be brief. There is obvious application for ministers of the Word found in this text. They are to understand, we are to understand, that God has called us and equipped us to serve within Christ's church. We are to be diligent, therefore, in the work of the ministry. We are to serve Christ's people with the Word of God. Uh, That is clearly stated in this text. That is clearly uh, Paul's emphasis as he is considering elders uh, here in this passage and elsewhere. When he writes to Timothy and Titus, he is constantly exhorting Elders, pastors, shepherds, teachers, whatever term you want to use to minister, to preach and teach the Word of God to the Christian congregation. It is the Word of God that will produce maturity in the people of God. And the maturity of the believers is to be the objective of the minister. But there is also application for the members of the congregation. I might ask you, are you pursuing maturity in Christ? Are you striving to grow in your understanding of the faith and in your knowledge of the Son of God? Are you eager to arrive at mature manhood? Are you looking to Christ not only for the forgiveness of your sins, but also as your standard for Christian living? Are you pursuing maturity? And do you understand the means that God uses to bring about that maturity? Here in this text it is plain that one of the primary means that God uses to mature His people is The ministry of the Word of God faithfully discharged within the Christian congregation. Here God is revealing that to us, that this is how I'm going to grow up my people to maturity. It will be through the ministry of the Word of God within the Christian congregation. Friends, I think we should not forget that we are here reading Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. We are not reading, let's say, Paul's letter to Pastor Timothy or to Pastor Titus. Paul's purpose, therefore, is not primarily to instruct pastors concerning their responsibility, though he does also do this, but to instruct the entire congregation, officers and members together, concerning the vital role that the ministry of the Word will play within the Christian congregation until Christ returns to make all things new. Ministers are to be faithful, therefore, but members are also to understand God's purpose for, appreciate, and desire the ministry of the Word in the context of the church. And so let me make a couple of more specific points of application. Friends, if you understand God's purpose for, if you appreciate and desire the ministry of the Word within the Christian congregation, you will not willingly forsake the assembly, will you? There are good reasons to forsake the assembly. We've spoken enough about that in the past couple of months. 
But ordinarily, the assembly is not to be forsaken, for among other things, it is where the word of God is ministered in word and also in sacrament. And no, friends, there is no substitute for being personally present. Mind you, Christ did not accomplish our redemption remotely and from a distance. Instead, the eternal Word of God took on flesh and tabernacled amongst us. And so, too, the living and active Word of God is to be preached by a minister who is living and active to a people who are living and active, present together. And so I wonder, are you eager to sit under the ministry of the Word of God on the Lord's Day? Do you understand God's purpose for it? Do you appreciate and desire the ministry of the Word in the context of the Christian congregation? And notice that it is the Word that I am here imploring you to desire. I'm imploring you to desire not good preaching, but the Word of God ministered to you. Brothers and sisters, I am saying that we need to develop an appetite, not for well-crafted and eloquent sermons, but for the Word of God itself. And if the Word of God is delivered in a skillful way, all the better But if the eloquent sermon is devoid of God's Word, then we must learn to reject that. For what we need is not preaching per se, but the Word of God delivered in the form of preaching. And so do you have an appetite for the Word? Are you teachable? Do you come being eager to learn and to humbly receive the implanted Word which is able to save your souls? Do you desire substantial teaching which will move you along with the rest of the congregation on to maturity in Christ? Last week I revealed to you something that has been on my mind for some time now, namely an evening worship service on the Lord's Day for our congregation. Our previous facility played a part in the decision to not move forward with that idea in the past. But I am hopeful that this new facility will enable us to begin to gather for evening worship. But hear me very clearly, I do not wish to impose this upon you. That is not my heart, to impose yet another worship service upon you. But rather, my hope and prayer is that this congregation would be eager for something like this. It is my hope and prayer that you would see the value of assembling again at the conclusion of the Lord's Day so that the Word might be ministered again, but in a different way. Uh, That is through catechetical preaching, systematic preaching. Uh, So that we might attain ever more so the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, that we might attain to mature manhood, that we might attain ever more so to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, there are many things that we will need to discuss as a congregation before moving forward with this, but for now I am simply beginning to appeal to you to see the goodness of the thing. And I do pray that you would desire more of the ministry of the Word of God in your lives, brothers and sisters. There are two more points to this sermon. As I've already said, they will be brief. Remember that our question is, what will be accomplished as the Word of God is proclaimed and taught faithfully within the Christian congregation? The principal answer is maturity in Christ, but maturity will also bring about other benefits as well. In verse 14, Paul communicates that the maturity will produce stability. It will produce stability within the life of the believer and also stability within the Christian congregation. Verse 14 begins with the words, so that. The words, so that, indicate that Paul is about to elaborate on the fruit of maturity. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. The individual Christian 
and the church as a whole will always and forever in this life be assailed by violent winds and tumultuous waves. These storms which buffet the church take many forms. Indeed, we face trials of many kinds. But here Paul has in mind the threat of false doctrine, especially those that originate from human cunning, crafty, and deceitful schemes. Sometimes false doctrine is the result of ignorance and honest error. But at other times, false doctrine is the result of human cunning. Men are sometimes crafty and deceitful. They twist the truth to benefit themselves and to feed their own passions. And here Paul is warning that those who are immature in the faith, those who are children, spiritually speaking, will be tossed to and fro by these waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. But the one who is mature in the faith, who has grown up in the knowledge of the Son of God, will stand steadfast and will be unmoved by the wind and the waves. This is a benefit of maturity, stability in the life of the believer. And this stability in the life of the individual believer will inevitably lead to stability within the Christian congregation. A congregation filled with spiritual children who are untrained in the faith, ignorant concerning the Son of God, and lacking maturity is prone to volatility. When the wind blows and the waves beat against the church, it will be easily shaken. But the congregation filled with mature believers who have built their lives securely upon Christ and His Word will weather even the most violent of seas and will stand against the fiercest of winds. I think Christ's words to the individual in Matthew 7, 24 and following can also be applied to the church. Hear the text. I will amend it uh, for our uh, purposes here, ever so slightly applying uh, Christ's words to the church. Every church who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise church who built its house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall Because it had been founded on the rock. And every church who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish church who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Brothers and sisters, the minister of the word is to faithfully proclaim the word of God in the context of the Christian congregation to produce maturity in the believers. And this maturity will also produce stability. Thirdly, this maturity and stability will promote unity within the Christian congregation. And we should remember that this is what Paul has exhorted us to be eager to maintain. We have been exhorted to maintain unity within Christ's church. He has urged us to walk in a worthy manner to which we have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, Paul reveals one of the ways in which that unity is maintained, namely through the ministry of the Word, which will cause us to grow up to mature manhood and to a stable existence. Unity was already mentioned in chapter 4, verse 13 where Paul identified the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God as a byproduct of the ministry of the Word. But here in 4.15, Paul contrasts the volatile existence of the untrained and immature with the preferred alternative. He writes, rather, 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Notice just a few things about verses 15 and 16. One, notice the contrasting word, rather. Instead of persisting in a childlike state of instability, we are rather to choose a different path. We are to grow up in maturity so that something else might be the result. Not instability, but stability and maturity and unity within the church. Two, instead of being tossed around by every wind of doctrine, we are to speak the truth in love. Uh, To speak the truth is to speak the truth of God's Word into the situations of our daily existence. Ministers of the Word are to do this. And in fact, all Christians are to do this for one another. Uh, Paul put it a little differently to the Colossians, saying, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. Uh, The words are different. Uh, the words that he uses in Ephesians compared to Colossians, but the meaning is essentially the same. He is encouraging the Christian congregation uh, to have the Word of God dwelling richly in the midst of them. We are to speak the truth to one another. But notice carefully the phrase, in love. We are to be moved by our sincere love for one another when we speak the truth. I think it is very common for people to withhold the truth, but to appear Loving in doing so, the non-confrontational sorts, you know, because I love the person, I won't say the hard thing to them. Well, this is, this is not love, and it is certainly not speaking the truth. And it is also common for people to speak the truth, but to lack love. But here, the Christian is called to speak the truth, but always in love. This must be a constant within the church. And notice that unity will be the result. By speaking the truth in love, we will, verse 15, grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here Paul uses the metaphor of a body to describe the church. When the truth of God's Word is the lifeblood of a congregation, the church grows up into Christ who is the head of the body. Christ is the central and unifying part of the body. He is the head. He is the one that joins and holds every part of the body together. Every unique joint and every unique part of the body is held together by Christ by virtue of our union to Him. And whenever part, and, and whatever part is, whenever a part is united to Christ and working properly, the body will grow and build itself up in love. Friends, I hope that you can see that there is absolutely no substitute for membership within the local church. Think about the imagery that Paul has used here. Think about what he has exhorted the Ephesians to do and even the Colossians to to have the Word of God dwelling in the midst of them richly. Uh, He has exhorted us here to speak the truth to one another in love. Maturity, unity, stability being the result of this. There is no substitute for membership within the local church. You've probably noticed that there is a lot of good preaching and teaching available online. There's an abundance of it. We're inundated with it, in fact. We're so blessed to have it. And I have no problem with you making use of of that. Discernment is needed, brothers and sisters. Not everything online is good. Do I need to say it? Probably not. 
Um, it's a wonderful resource for the Christian. I mean, you could be completely and thoroughly educated as a Christian by digging around online and finding these wonderful resources out there. But think of this. There is no substitute. There is no way to, to, to substitute for this pastors who are present with you, living and active. There is no way to recreate the benefit of living in the midst of a Christian congregation where the truth of God's Word is spoken to you in love by someone who is present with you, living and active. That cannot be replicated by online resources of any kind. How crucial it is to be joined to a body of believers with Christ as the head, where the Word of God is consistently and faithfully ministered in the midst of that congregation. Truly, the Word of God is the lifeblood of the Christian congregation. It is through the Word that each individual Christian is nourished and strengthened to grow up to maturity. And it is the Word of God which binds us together so that we might attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes." Ministers must be faithful to preach and to teach the Scriptures, therefore, if we hope to see the church grow in maturity, stability, and unity. Indeed, brothers and sisters, we must learn, all of us, to speak the truth in love so that we might together grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let us bow together for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have not only redeemed us, but that you have lavished spiritual gifts, heavenly gifts upon us, so that we are well equipped and supplied. We thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for this daily bread that you have provided for us, so that we might know the truth, so that we might know how to walk in this world. Father, I pray that indeed you would bless this congregation with a healthy and robust ministry of the Word of God for decades and decades to come. Father, I pray that You would give us all an appetite to hear Your Word. May we treasure it. May we see it as more precious than gold. May we have an appetite for it, seeing it as being sweeter than honey. Father, help us to love Your Word. Give us the desire to to know it and to keep it. And change us, Lord, so that we might live in obedience to it always. Father, bless the elders of this church, bless also the members, that we would understand how it is that you are working in our midst. Move us on to maturity, Lord. Bless us with continued stability. Lord, may we always be unified in Christ Jesus. The world is so very divided, but Lord, we have unity in Christ. We pray that you would maintain it in the midst of us and make us eager to maintain it ourselves. It's in the name of Christ we pray and all of God's people say, 